Hi, everyone. Welcome to week three of the Bible in Jewish, Christian, and Islamic thought with Dr. Hanan Ghafni. Um, thank you to everyone who is rejoining us or joining us for the first time. Really excited to continue. Um, I, just very quickly, once again, I'll be promoting people to panelists. That doesn't mean you have to talk. It just will allow you to turn on your camera. We'd love to see your face, um, but please do keep your your uh, sorry your microphone muted when you're not speaking. Um, but please do also put questions in the chat here or in on Zoom or on Facebook Live if you would like to ask a question or raise your hand. Um, I think that's all for right now. So Dr. Gaffney, over to you. Okay, I'll just share my screen and we can start. Okay, you hear me? Okay, good. So uh, I want to start like the previous two weeks with a brief review over what we've done, and then immediately we can uh, proceed and uh, make progress, advance with our discuss, advance our discussion. So the course is devoted to the under to the to serving for a survey of the Jewish, Christian, and Islamic way of interpreting the Bible in general and or the Torah in particular. And our goal is to see what was unique in each type of interpretation, but also the dialogues or debates that were taking place between these three different uh, religions. So this is the goal of the of this entire uh, mini series. And uh, what we're going to do now is first start with a very brief review over what we've done. So in the in the first session, in the opening session, we try to contrast in very general or broad terms between traditional and critical types of or modes of interpretations. We said that uh, critical scholars, when they read the Bible, perhaps what they're interested in is reading the text according to its original meaning, uh, trying to understand the culture or the surrounding environment of the time, assuming that this is a human composition that is supposed to be taken as any other historical uh, text. For traditional people, on the other hand, viewing the Torah or the Bible as the word of God, so the perception is very, very different. They would try to understand this as if this is presenting uh, something that is timeless, it comes from God, so it presents the truth, a timeless uh, truth, and therefore they view the text very, very differently. So this is the very general uh, gap that separates between traditional and critical interpreters. However, what we wanted to emphasize in the previous sessions, that does not mean that all traditional interpretations are identical because different religious people come to the text with a different uh, background or with different challenges. And that's why they might come up with different ways or modes of interpretation. So what we did in the previous uh, two sessions is first we tried to describe briefly the Jewish way of reading the Bible and then we proceeded to the Christian way of reading the Bible or again, specifically, more specifically the Torah. Uh, so when it comes to the Jewish reading of the Bible, I think it would be a fair statement to say that the prevailing or the governing mode of interpretation among Jews in antiquity is the one presented in rabbinic literature. And the term that is often used for that type of interpretation is drash. What is drash about? So we said, generally speaking, Jews read the Bible as a, in the literal sense, meaning they take this historical or stories in the Bible as actual events, and also when they encounter laws, commandments, they take them as something that needs to be carried on a literal, in, the, in the literal sense. 
so why do we need the drash? What does the drash come from? In what way are, the, what's the unique way that the rabbis read the text? Well, the rabbis are concerned with making the text applicable in their time, meaningful, inspiring. And therefore, when they read the text, they need to use this technique called Rash to see how would they carry out, how would they fulfill certain commandments in changing realities or if some pieces of information are missing. So in that sense, the rabbis are traditional. They're not trying to read the text only historically, but they are trying to see how can we practice the, this text in later periods. Also, when it comes to stories or uh, events in the Bible, they would try to think how these stories become meaningful for us. How could they become a source of inspiration for later generations? However, generally speaking, and this is I'm trying to emphasize this in contrast to the way that Christians will read it, the text is overall taken literally, both when it comes to stories and when it comes to laws, to commandments. So this is the Jewish way of reading the text. It is traditional in the sense that Jews don't view it as something that remains in the past, but something that needs to be practiced or remain meaningful for later generations. This is what we said very briefly over about rabbinic literature, governing approach among Jews. Then we proceeded to Christian readings of the Torah, and we tried to explain what our Christians concerned uh, by and how do they try to, to read the Torah. So we said uh, that for Christians in antiquity, both in the New Testament and later on in church fathers literature, the main concern was a double concern. On the one hand, Christians wanted to find Christianity in the Bible. They wanted to find stories that appear in the Hebrew Bible or in the Old Testament from their perspective as something that also speaks about Christianity. They wanted to find Jesus. They wanted to find important Christian uh, elements in the Old Testament. That was one concern. The other concern was, to get rid of the practical implications of all the many, many commandments in the Torah. For that purpose, we saw that Christians uh, preferred or adopted the allegorical type of interpretation, mode of interpretations. So when Christians read the text, they feel that this is not something that needs to be read only literally, but rather as a symbolic type of composition. What do they gain by that? So, both when we come when we deal with stories and when we deal with laws, allegory was a very useful tool. When we talk about stories, Christians might argue it's not just a historical event. It's supposed to symbolize some Christian idea, or we can find in the stories of the Bible references, or uh, we can almost say prophecies that allude to the story of Jesus, to the main stories of Christianity. So that's when it comes to stories. Also, when we speak about laws, we can say the laws shouldn't be or don't need to be practiced in the literal sense, but rather as uh, trying to uh, bring forth or uh, advance a certain idea, a certain, uh, a certain concept, but not something that needs to be done on a very practical level. So we can talk about two opposing approaches. One that views the Bible just in literal senses, that's the rabbinic way. Stories are historical events laws are practical commandments. And on the other hand, Christians who say, no, stories are not just history. They're also in a sense, prophecies and laws are not practical commandments, but rather uh, representations of, of abstract ideas that are just being described in, tech, in a practical way. But it, the idea is not that you need to fulfill these laws in a practical level, but rather try to get the idea that stands behind 
the description uh, that is presented in all sorts of laws or commandments. So these are two different approaches. So in the previous first two, in the previous sessions, we spoke about each one of these two modes of interpretations independently. So we spoke about the Jews and how Jews read the Bible, and we spoke about Christians, how Christians read the Bible. Our goal today will be to discuss the possible uh, connections or debates between Jews and Christians, both in antiquity and later on in the medieval period. So I think we need to discuss essentially two questions. So this is what we're gonna do today. Talk about Jewish Christian debates. And the questions that we're concerned by are the following uh, two questions. The first important question is uh, to ask, were Jews, because our main concern are, is from the Jewish perspective, were Jews even familiar with the Christian methodology, meaning reading the Bible as allegory. The Christian, did Jews even know about this type of interpretation about the Christian mode of interpretation? And if the answer is yes, if they were, if so, meaning if they did understand, how did they attempt to defend the Jewish mode of interpretation, meaning reading the Bible according to its literal meaning, following their drash approach? So again, two questions we have here. First, is there any familiarity between these two camps and mainly are Jews familiar with what goes on in the Christian world? Are they understanding the way that Christians read the Bible? And if so, how do they react to that? How do they address this type of interpretation? Uh, how do they try to defend the literal meaning rather than the uh, allegorical type of understanding? So we already did, we took, a, we uh, hinted to that in the previous session, but just hinted and today I wanna to develop this at greater length. If we want to start, I want to start first with the text from rabbinic literature in earlier stages in Jewish history, and then move on to the medieval period. So uh, again, were Jews familiar with Christian methodology of reading the Bible as allegory, and how did they react? So let's start with a bit with the brief passage from Sefer Bereshit, and I want to ask you a question, and we'll use this as a brief sample to get a sense what might have been the mode of thinking in antiquity. So this is a brief passage about a figure who appears just twice in the entire Bible. I'm speaking about Hanoch, Enoch. He's mentioned by name once in, in Chronicles, but uh, a, a full text that discusses his life and his stories only in Genesis. In, in Chronicles, his name appears and that's all. So I'm gonna read it in Hebrew and in English and followed by English, and then we'll, I'll ask you a question, okay? So now I'm going to read it in English and I'll ask you a brief question. Where Enoch had lived 65 years, he begot Metushelach. Enoch walked with God after he begot Metushelach 300 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So I'll ask you a brief question. When you read this story, how do you picture Enoch? Or even I'll ask you in a slightly different manner. How do you think the Bible attempts to, to describe Enoch? Is Enoch a positive figure or a negative figure? Is he a good guy or a bad guy? It's a question for you, a good guy or a bad guy?
and give me proofs why. Why do you say? I think it's pretty clear. I would say from neutral to positive. Yeah, I would also say positive. And what, what gives reason to assume that he's a positive figure? What does it say by, about him? Because um, he walked with God. Right. What could be better from the Bible's perspective? From the, this, uh, we have the similar descriptions. Somebody, Elohim said by Noach, right? Et Elohim Noach. It says that by Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, all the good guys walk with God. So that should be one indication that he's a good figure. But there's another thing that we could say about him that is also unique. It says at the end of the description, God has taken him. It does not say like everybody else that he just died. It speaks about him being taken by God. And here too, if we try to compare him to other figures in the Bible that did not die, but rather ascend to heaven so again it puts him in big in a good uh, in good company who else can you picture another person who was taken up to god not having dead not having died before who else Allah went up in a storm Eliyahu, elijah also right so it, it, for all those reasons we would picture him as a positive guy However, and, and, and I should add, this is indeed how most ancient traditions describe him. They only have good things to say about him. Not everybody thinks about him the same precise way. They describe him being positive in all sorts of ways, but they all viewed him in a positive light. But here we look in a text from Midrash Rabbah. This is a text from Genesis Rabbah, Midrash Bereshit Rabbah, and we're talking about a fifth century text. And this is what the text says here. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God took him. And this is what this uh, passage says here. Rabbi Chama bar Rabbi Hoshaya said, and he was not, ve'enenu, means that he was not inscribed in the role of the righteous, but in the role of the wicked. Oh my God, why? In the role of the wicked. Rabbi Aibu said, Enoch was a hypocrite, so acting sometimes as a righteous, sometimes as a wicked man. Therefore, the Holy One blessed him. He said, while he is righteous, I will remove him. The Ibu said, also said, he judged him on New Year when judges the whole world. First passage already says he's not such a such a positive uh, figure, right? He was a wicked guy, or he may be a hypocrite. We proceed. Some sectarians ask Rabbi Abau, why do we not find that Enoch died? Right? Why, why, why does it not say that he died? How so inquired he? Taken is employed here. So Rabbi Abau is saying that is not the case, right? Uh, he asks them, what, what makes you think that he didn't die? And they said, taking is employed here and also in connection with Elijah. So if that's the said they, so meaning just like by Elijah, it means that he didn't die. They argue that Enoch didn't die as well. Answers Rabbi Abau, that's not true. If you stress the word taking, he answered, then taking is employed here while in Ezekiel, it is said, behold, I take away from, from thee the desire of thine eyes. And so he found a place somewhere in Ezekiel where taking means to die. And therefore he insists when it says, it might mean that Enoch died. So the sectarians were in, thought that Enoch did not die. And Rabbi Abba is insisting, no, that is not true. He actually did die, 
Rabbi Tanhuma observed, he answered them well. Finally, Ematon asked Rabbi Yosei, why do we not find death stated in Enoch? Said he to her, if it said, and Enoch walked with God and no more, I would agree with you. Since, however, it says he was not, for God took him, it means he was not more in the world, having died, for God took him. So there is some extra words here to actually emphasize that he died. And I want to ask you, why do you suppose that the rabbis here took such a nice guy called Enoch and suddenly turned him into this bad, wicked person, a hypocrite or a wicked guy? And they even insist that he died. What could be the possible reasons for the rabbis coming up with such an unexpected way of viewing Enoch? Some scholars say, what's the possible, what could be the reason for this? Yes, I see, Judith, that you already are guessing. That the Christians must be using this as a predictor of Jesus. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And the rabbis have to defend Right, themselves. right. So many, many scholars, this is already a few hundred years ago that scholars uh, realized that. Yeah, scholars just suggest that perhaps this is not just a discussion that is taking place within the walls of the Beit Midrash, but rather this is some, this is reflecting some exposure or familiarity with, with what goes on in the outer world. We can just imagine that if a Jew met a Christian guy in the first century or the second century, and the Christian guy would try to convince the Jew that he should convert to Christianity. And he would tell the Jew, listen to what I'm telling you now. Look, we have our, our Mashiach, our Messiah. He just went to heaven. He never died. So you, should, you have to follow him. And we can probably imagine that the Jew would make fun of that. And he would say, what do you mean he didn't die? I saw him being crucified. He died like any other person. And besides that, the Jew would say, everybody dies. Nobody ascends to heaven. And what would the Christian answer? The Christian would probably tell him, did we make up that story? Actually. It is a principle, is an idea that is found already in your old canon when it talks about Elijah, but also when it speaks about Enoch. Beyond that, we find Christians actually reading the story of Enoch, seeing him as some sort of prophetic figure uh, or a figure that through his actions is also alluding to or prophesizing something about what will happen in the future. If prefiguration or typology of Jesus. If that's the way that Christians read it, we can understand why the rabbis are, are deciding that uh, we need to deal with this story. And they're saying, mm, don't rely on Enoch. He was actually a wicked guy and he died like everybody else. This is a very ancient theory about this Midrash. And I think it's very convincing. You can even find all sorts of hints in the text that this is not a discussion that took place within the yeshiva, but rather with outsiders. You see that it mentions some sectarians that are, are involved here. It speaks about a matron. So again, somebody from the outer world, from the outside world. And also the, I, the fact that Rabbi Abau is mentioned here also is meaningful because Rabbi Abau in all sorts of other places in the Talmud says that he was very, uh, he often would have these arguments with Christians and he always found the right answers to all their questions. So I think it makes a lot of sense that this is a reflection of a Jewish Christian a dialogue or debate that took place, a, react, a Jewish reaction to what was going on in the Christian world. So uh, if we want, I wanted to start with this text to show that it's pretty clear that Jews were familiar to some extent to what was going on in the Christian world. However, if we wanted to use just this passage, obviously it's just one example, we can see that Jews were not really addressing the big picture. They deal with the story of Enoch, 
Christians read Enoch as some sort of allegory for Jesus. Jews could have said to them something very different. Jews could have argued the whole method and say, look, what's the connection between our Enoch and your Jesus? Enoch lived back then. And who says that there's any justification to read him as some sort of allegory for something that will happen later on? What we see in this example and also in many other examples that in the ancient period, in antiquity, even if Jews were familiar with the Christian way of reading the text, they're not really addressing the method. They're not really addressing the, the big question, how should the Bible be read? Should we read the Bible literally as describing historical events, period? Or it, could this be also a form of allegory for future events? And the method here, the, the mode of interpretation was not really addressed in antiquity. It feels like Jews are reacting in this particular passage more emotional than in a rational manner. They're not discussing the way how one needs to read the Bible or how should the Bible be read. They're just saying, oh, you make Enoch into a, a, pre, a pre or a model for Jesus, a president for Jesus, so we'll make him a bad guy. It's not really a rational or a sophisticated way of dealing with the, with the method, the Christian way of reading the Bible. Indeed, we need to wait the medieval period much, much later uh, and only then, in the 11th, 12th, 13th century and on, we actually encounter a much more sophisticated debate, Jewish-Christian debate, that involves, that actually brings forth the real question, how should one read the Bible? Should the Bible be read just as a literal, historical, practical text, or is there justification to read it in a, as, a, as a symbolic text? and then find in historical descriptions some sort of prophecy that talks about Jesus, talks about Christianity. Or when it comes to laws, can we read this, the laws, the legal components of the Bible as allegorical ideas and not as something that needs to be practiced in the literal sense? So it's only in the medieval times that this would come up. What we will do now is turn to a bunch of these texts and try to see what were the main arguments that Christians might have had to support their allegorical way of reading the Bible, and also to see the Jewish respond. How can Jews defend the literal way of reading the text, their literal drash approach, in contrast to the allegorical mode of interpretation that was common in the Christian world. But before we do that, I wanna give you a, a two minute chance to come up with your ideas. So I wanna start with the Christian perspective and then move to the Jewish perspective. So we'll, let's start with the Christians for a second. Let's get to the Christian mindset. How do you suppose would Christians uh, try to prove or convince their fellow Jews that the Bible should be read allegorically, not literally? That when you read a story, it's not just a historical description. It has to carry an additional layer of uh, prophecy about the future. Or when it comes to laws, we shouldn't take them literally. It should be something that it should be viewed in a symbolic manner. So give me some arguments. You're Christians for a second, just for five seconds. What would Christians say on this? How can they convince the Jews that the Bible should be read as allegory? We'll see a bunch of texts soon, but I want you to think for a second at least beforehand. What could be the arguments from the Christian perspective? Why read the Bible as allegory? The Bible is telling us a story. Why not read it as a historical description? It talks about a specific law. Why just not practice it in its literal sense. Why do we need to assume that it's a symbolic idea? The Christians were um, proselytizing 
and needed to convince more than the Jews. They had to convince pagans as well. And I think that they needed to transit out of the restrictions of Judaism in order to, to attract non-Jews. That is 100%. I 100% agree with every word you say. We spoke about that last week, but that's not an argument. That's the motivation. The motivation is very clear. But how can they bring, how can they convince a Jew that this is the way the Bible needs to be read? Objectively, not from there. Obviously, it serves their goal. And also from the Jewish perspective, how can Jews convince their fellow Christians that the Bible needs to be taken under or understood literally, not allegorically? So we're going to see a bunch of examples for this now. And the texts we're going to use are mainly Jewish texts, but some of them are the first texts we'll see are Christians. Many of them are formed in the are presented in the form of a dialogue between Jews and Christians. And uh, the, each side is trying to convince his, his opponent. Were these real debates? In many cases, it's just fabricated work, but it presents the two approaches. Yes. Go back to one. I, I missed the other classes. I have the wrong dates. I thought today was the first class. Um, we missed you. <laughs> in, in, in any class, in, in any case, you refer to the Jewish approach to the text as being literal. But we have our own way of being metaphorical. And Drush is an example of that, that we're not really sticking just to the text. Okay, so when, so when I said... So when we're uncomfortable with the text, we manage to do a workaround. Yeah, okay. By, so I want to address the, that. It's a good so point. It's a good point. So, right. I, don't so think, what, yeah, I don't think the Christian approach, and my, my husband has often said that the New Testament is Drush. It's it's a, okay. It's so, a, I wanna, so I want to say I want to address this question. This is really talking about something we discussed in the previous sessions. So I'll just say it briefly. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, no. It's okay. In the in, uh, I think there's a big difference. Both Jews and Christians are reading the Bible. That's what I was trying to explain before. Traditionally, they're not trying to understand the text just in order to decipher its original meaning. They both want to bring the text to the present. However, it's being done in a very different way. Jews are still taking the laws in the literal sense. These are practical commandments that need to be practiced literally. They might have some missing pieces of information that need to be filled in. You know, the, the reality changes, so they need to work out. You know, the Bible speaks about fire. We need to think about electricity. So those gaps exist, and they use the drash in order to overcome that obstacle. When they read stories, they also read it in the form of drash, Again, they view the historical events in the Bible as historical events, but they try to think how to make this meaningful. But it remains, in, in comparison to the Christian allegory, it's a literal composition. It's talking about historical events and about practical laws. I'm not claiming that the, the rabbis are reading the Bible according to its original meaning necessarily, the way that a scholar in the university would read it. Obviously, drash is also departure from plain sense. And in that sense, the rabbis are also very traditional, but they're not reading the Bible as metaphor. They're not saying the story of Enoch is about somebody else. They're not saying that when we speak, we speak about the laws of Kashrut, that it's just trying to you know, present a certain abstract idea and you can eat whatever you want. That Jews did not say. So in, in comparison to the Christian way of reading the text, 
it's much more down to earth than what Christians are doing. Obviously, I'm not trying to say that what the rabbis are saying, that the drash is the way that critical scholars read it. Literal does not necessarily, is not similar to original meaning, to the, to the critical way of reading the Bible, right? So I think we need to separate between these two. Um, I agree with your husband 100% that the rabbis are also abandoning the plain sense of the text in that sense and moving beyond. But they're still remaining, they still believe this is a historical description and it's practical laws. So let's see what are what can we find in this realm. So we're starting with the first text. The first text is from the 12th century, composed by a guy whose name was uh, Yosef Kimchi. And he wrote a book called, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Again, so we're starting with a Christian text, not a Jewish text, composed by a guy whose name was Peter Alfonsi from the 12th century. And he wrote a very interesting book called uh, the, Di the Dialogue Between Peter and Moses. Who was Peter and who was Moses? So Peter obviously is the Christian guy and Moses is the Jew. However, it was actually the same person. How come? Peter Alfonsi was actually born as Moses, as Moshe. But at some point he converted to Christianity and after his conversion, he writes this fabricated type of dialogue where he's trying to explain to himself or to other people what made him convert. Uh, so this is, this is the work we're dealing with. It's a fascinating text. It's mostly devoted to the Jewish Christian dialogue, but part of it are also discussing Islam, but that's really not our theme. So we have here Peter and Moses, but they're the same person. So I'm gonna be, uh, I'm gonna be Moses. Chaya, you wanna be Peter? Just for the sure. class, Unless... after class you become Chaya again. <laughs> Thank you. Unless Judith, do you wanna do it? Or if- uh, Anybody, we have more text Anyone else? In the, in... I'm gonna give everyone, okay. Anyone else wanna go or should I? You'll be Peter okay, and the next, like, all right, next gonna... we'll find somebody else. All right, great. Okay, all so right, I'm going to give everyone Moses. a chance. So this is about the way, what I want to see is how does the, this is a, the first text we're reading is written from a Christian perspective. Let's see, how does the Christian try to convince the Jews that the Bible should be read allegorically? So Moses, make me understand how it seems to you that the Jews have erred in their interpretation of the law and how you in fact understand it better. Insofar as I see them attending only to the superficial, superficial meaning of the law, expounding the letter not spiritually but carnally, once they have been diluted by the greatest error. And here I skipped a little bit. If it is explained literally, I do not know why you say that it is absurd. The saying of the prophets are obscure, but su not sufficiently clear for everyone. To everyone, sorry. For this reason, when we find things in the prophetic books in which interpreting them literally, we would stray away from the path of reason, reason, we must interpret them allegorically so that we may return to the path of rectitude. Necessity compels us to do so, since otherwise the meaning of the letter can make no sense. Your doctors, however, have not recognized God as one should, explaining the words of the prophets superficially. They have fallen into error concerning him. Okay, so I think that in this passage we can find uh, two interesting ideas that the Christian guy is trying to tell the Jew why he feels the text should be read allegorically or what he calls uh, uh, spiritually and not in the literal sense. In the first part, what is he saying? What is he, how does he address the Jewish way of reading the text? What does he say about the literal way of Jewish way of reading the text? In the first part, the first the passage, the first sentence of Peter, he's, pre he's presenting one argument. What's the first argument? That, oh, sorry. 
Yeah. Judith, Judith, were you going to say something? Well, I guess the, the justice that Jews look at the meaning of the law carnally versus spiritually. Right. So, so one one very common idea that appears in Christian literature is that Jews are much more superficial. The only when you read the text literally, you don't really get to the essence of the text. We Christians give so much more. We uh, we feel this text is holy, comes from God, and therefore we want to look for something deep, for something meaningful. When you read the text in a literal sense, and you just say, you know what, you don't, you're not supposed to eat uh, chazir pork. What's the point of that? It doesn't give us any meaning. It's not deep. It's very superficial. Reading the text literally is superficial. Understanding the text as allegory might give us a sense to the deep meaning of the text. So that's one uh, important and one common uh, Christian argument. In the second passage, the Christian guy is coming up with another uh, argument, a different argument. And I think what he's saying in the second text is as follows. When I read a text that makes perfect sense to me, True, there's no justification to depart from the literal meaning and read it as allegory. But sometimes when I read a text, and I, it seems to me irrational understanding it following the literal meaning. It just makes absolutely no sense. In such cases, one must depart from the literal and move to the allegorical understanding because reading it literally is basically distorting the meaning of the text. When you read a, a text that just makes no sense when it's taken literally, one must depart in understanding as allegory. So if I want to summarize it, so here we have a, a brief chart. So we have two important arguments. The first two is, is what we discussed. So the first main common Christian argument, literal interpretation is superficial or external, whereas allegorical interpretation is much more deep, meaningful, spiritual, right? It's much, it gets to the essence of the idea and it gives more credit to the text and it's not just examining it superficially. That's one argument. The second argument, rational texts deserve literal interpretations, but we're dealing with something irrational. And very often Christians would say the description is just not something that we can be taken literally. We must depart and we must require some allegorical understanding or meaning to that text. Finally, that we did not see here, Christians also try to find all sorts of biblical proofs that show, that indicate that the Bible needs to be read allegorically. Sometimes they read certain stories in the Bible allegorically in order to say that, in order to show that the Bible needs to be read as allegory. I'm hinting to the, the text that we saw last week about Moses' veil. Moses has a veil over his face and the Jews can't see his face. Christians say that's the way Jews read the Bible. They read the Bible literally so they don't see, they don't get to the essence of the message. When you read the Bible without something blocking your face, meaning when you read the Bible allegorically, you get to the, to the bottom of the text. So these are main Christian arguments. What we'll do in the remaining, uh, remaining part of our lecture is see how Jews address that. How did Jews deal? How did Jews try to defend their uh, literal drash mode of interpretation that was much more down to earth in comparison, Judith, in comparison, to the way that Christian read the text. I'm not saying that this is the, the plain sense, but in comparison to the Christian way, Jews was reading it much more literal and how did Jews defend their way of reading. Already now you can sense that Jews in the medieval times are not just addressing specific stories or examples. They're addressing the method. They're addressing the way that the text is supposed to be read. 
these type of, of discussions do not exist in antiquity. It's something that only uh, appears much, much later. So the first text we're reading now is, this is the text I was starting to talk about before, is the text by Yosef Kimchi. It's called Sefer Habrit, the Book of Covenant from the 12th century, precisely the same time where Peter Alfonsi wrote his book, The Dialogues Between Moses and Peter. Yosef Kimchi's book, just like the other book, were, was not composed, is, is presented in the form of a dialogue, and it's also not a real debate that took place. It's a fabricated a theoretical debate between Hamin Ma'amin. The mean and the Ma'amin. The mean is the heretic, Ma'amin is the believer. So the mean is the Christian, and the Ma'amin is the Jew. And what we will want to see now is how do, how do Jews uh, react, how do Jews address, how do Jews try to defend their literal way of reading the text. So again, we need a Christian and a Jew. We need a mean and we need a Ma'amin. Judith, you want to be the mean or the ma'amin? You're going to be the ma'amin. Even for the class, you don't want to leave your yahadut. <laughs> so you're going to be the ma'amin, and I need, a, I need a mean. Chaya, you already are, you want to be a mean again? You already took the Christian side today. The mean yeah, said. He's in the mean. Yeah. You understand most of the Torah literally, while we understand it figuratively. Your whole reading of the Bible is erroneous, for you resemble him who gnaws at the bone while we suck at the marrow within. You are like the beast that eats the chaff while we eat the wheat. So this is a, the Christian presentation, and it resembles what we saw also in Peter's words, right? You Jews are superficial. We're hitting the essence of the idea. You're just, uh, on the, you're just doing the external understanding where we get into the essence of the idea. Answers the Ma'amin. The Ma'amin said, me. When the Holy One, blessed be he, gave the Torah to Moses, who taught it to Israel, did he understand it figuratively or not? If you say that he did not understand it figuratively, but literally, and taught it so to Israel, then Israel is not to be held accountable in this matter. How is it that the Creator did not teach it to Moses figuratively, so that he might have taught it so to Israel. If you say that he understood it figuratively, why did he not teach it to Israel figuratively? For that matter, why did the prophets who came after him not do so? Okay, keep this in mind. We'll get back to this in a second. That's the first argument. And then another brief argument. It's still the Ma'amin speaking. No. Well, that the fact is that the Torah is not to be taken altogether literally or altogether figuratively. If one says to his servant, take the horse and ride it on the sea, we must try to interpret this figuratively. Likewise, if he says to him, board the ship and go in it on dry land, there is no need for figurative interpretation if he says to him, board the ship and go on the sea in it. Okay, so I'm stopping here. The Jewish side now, the Ma'amin, I think, is coming up with two important arguments. Two typical Jewish arguments for reading the Bible literally and not allegorically. The first argument, the one you read in the first page, what is the 
essence of the Jewish argument. What is he saying? He says, I think, a very simple idea. He says, look, if God wanted us to understand the Torah figuratively, God should have made his point much more clear. He should have been clear by telling us this is just a figurative or a symbolic idea. For example, the Torah says, Shivat yamim a person is supposed to be seven days with his mother, and on the eighth day, you need, to bring, you need to do circumcision. If God meant the way that Christians sometimes read it as a symbolic idea, and not that we take a real knife and, and take off the Ola, God should have been more clear about it, right? He should have said, do not try to practice this at home. It's just a symbolic idea, right? He should have been more clear, right? Just like when you buy a, you know, some medicine or something, it gives you all the instructions. God should have said, this is not what I meant. I'm, I mean, this is not to be taken literally. It's just a symbolic idea. If God didn't make himself clear, or for that matter, if Moses didn't understand it, we are not to be the ones to be blamed. We took the text and followed it literally. There's no reason to move or uh, to... Uh, Abandon the literal meaning unless we're being instructed to do so. That's a very common Jewish argument. And what Jews often did, they also showed that this is with the way that the people understood it in the biblical times. For example, you remember in the book of Numbers, it talks about a person who was violating the laws of Shabbat. He was collecting uh, wood and they, they stoned him. If the halachot of Shabbat were only symbolic ideas, the way that Christians read them, so when Moses was about to stone that guy, God should have appeared from heaven and said, no, 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 no. I didn't mean the laws of Shabbat should be taken literally. I didn't mean you're supposed to stone him literally. It's all a symbolic idea. But we see the guy was stoned. We also see that when the Jews come to Israel at the period of Joshua, they're all being circumcised. Nobody there said, no, 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 no. Circumcision is just an abstract idea. It's just a metaphor for something. So we see that at the time back then, people took it literally. They didn't get any different instruction, neither by God nor by the prophets. And therefore, we are not to be the ones being blamed. So the instructions were not given clear enough. The second argument, the one you read here, I think is very interesting because it's, it speaks in a very similar language to what we saw in the Christian description before. What the Jew is saying, look, I'm not denying the fact that if I read a text that makes no sense, I will read it literally. If, you if somebody tells a servant, take the horse and ride it in the sea, or if he tells him, board the ship and go out and in dry land, I understand that's a figurative language. When the Torah says, umaltem et orlat levavchem, right? You should remove the skin of your heart. Nobody means they were supposed to do an open heart surgery and uh, take that skin off. So then we all understand that it's something that needs to be read allegorically. But when it's doable, when it's something that can be read literally, then we have to remain and follow the literal sense. I think that's a very interesting uh, uh, comparison because you see that both Christians and, and Jews are agreeing that there are elements of literal and elements of figurative. But the question is, where do we draw the line? And Christians would read many, many stories and they would say, look, taking it literally is not giving enough credit to the story. It's just too simple or it doesn't make much sense. We must move go beyond. Whereas Jews will make their best to try to read a text literally and they will not departure from the plain literal sense unless they're forced to do so. The next text I want to say, I want to bring you is a different, uh, is, is a text by Ibn Ezra. 
a little bit later time-wise, time but I think he adds a very interesting addition to the Jewish argument. In Ibn Ezra's introduction to the Torah, to his commentary to the Torah, he sketches all the different types of interpretation that he feels exist. And obviously he's trying to show or demonstrate what should be the right way, the truth. So he says, we can picture them, we can picture a circle in our minds and the truth is found right at the middle of this circle. And there are other people who read the text. Some of them are not exactly at the center, but at least within the borders of this circle. And some people are just so way off, they're not even in the boundaries. They're just far, far, far out. And this is what he talked about, he says about the Christian way. So, so the Karaites, for example, are a little bit far removed from the truth. The people who read the Bible as a philosophical text, they're a little bit off from the truth. People who read the text, the form that the way that some Ba'alei Agadah read the text, they're a little bit removed from the truth. But the Christians who read the Bible as allegory, they're just not even near. They're just far. And this is what he says in his uh, introduction. It's written in beautiful Hebrew, all with riddles. And uh, but I'm bringing it here straight with English translation so that it doesn't capture that element. And this is what he's saying. Uh, the third approach, who wants to read? This is the third approach. As I said, the, the first one is the Karait approach, the, the philosophical, the Karait, and then he talks about the Christians. The third approach. Chaya, you're not reading. I can, yeah, sure. He's a Jew. He's a oh, Jew. Oh, no, I can I, still read. <laughs> I'll, I'll <laughs> pretend just for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> and, all right. Uh, the third approach is the way of darkness and gloom. It lies outside the circle. This is the approach of those who invent secret explanations for everything in scripture. They believe that the laws and statutes of the Torah are riddles. Thus, anything in the Torah which does not contradict reason, we must explain literally, take as it is written, and believe that it is so. We should not grope walls as the blind do and interpret verses according to our subjective needs. Why should we turn what is evident into mysteries? Okay, so I skipped here. It's not the entire passage. But I wanted you to see, to sense that there's one extra argument I think that you find here in Ibn Ezra that we did, we did not find before. He also says that whatever is read and understood literally should remain that way. It's only when you can't understand something in a rational way, if you don't if you explain it literally, it makes no sense, then you have the right to depart from that. But I think he's adding something in addition to what we saw before. When he says anything in the Torah which does not contradict reason, we must explain literally. Why? We should not grope walls as the blind do and interpret verses according to our subjective needs. What is he uh, accusing Christians of? Or what is he? what problem in the way in reading the Bible as allegory does he uh, point to? I'll, I'll emphasize the sentence I'm thinking about. He says, why should we should not grope walls as the blind do and interpret verses according to our sub subjective needs. What is he saying about the nature of allegorical interpretations? When, uh, so I'll, 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 we have no time, so I have to rush a little bit. So I'll explain, I think, what he's trying to say. Uh, what Ibn Ezra is saying is, look, when you read a text literally, it usually has one clear and decisive, decisive meaning. Right When the Torah says you should do something, you should not eat chazir. We know what that means. You're not supposed to take this particular animal and eat it. That's very clear. When it tells us you have to circumcise, we know what it means. You have to take a knife and you have to cut the flesh. It's very clear. Also, when you read stories, 
It tells us a story about a figure in the Bible, the binding of Isaac. So it's a story about Abraham and Isaac and the story of the binding. As soon as you claim that the story is not just about its literal understanding, it's not just about the historical event or about the practical law, but it's actually supposed to symbolize or it's a metaphor from some more spiritual or abstract idea, it becomes something very, very problematic to decipher, to determine, so what is it about? It's becoming a speculative uh, issue. How do we know what the allegory stands for, right? If it's a symbolic idea, people can read allegories in so many ways. Just remember your classes, your literature classes from high school. You read a story, you think you understand it, and then the teacher comes and he says, no, it's supposed to be an allegorical presentation of some idea. And you ask yourself, where did he see that in the text, right? In a sense, that's what Ibn Ezra is saying. When, when you start reading the text as metaphor, it becomes such a speculative idea. And different people can find different texts, different messages in the text. When we read the story of the binding of Isaac and we say it's a prophecy or it's a, it's a prefiguration of something, who knows what that alludes for? What is, the, what is it trying to hint to? When we try to understand the meaning, the symbolical meaning of, of a mitzvah, who is going to tell us what the idea that stands behind that mitzvah? If we remain in the literal sense, it's very clear cut. But once you start talking about allegorical or metaphorical ideas, it becomes a, a very speculative. And so that's what he's saying when he says why we should not grope the walls as the blind do. We shouldn't just be guessing what the Torah is trying to tell us. And I think what he says in addition to that, he says, when you try to speculate or guess what the Torah is saying, what will happen very short afterwards, very soon, is that you will start reading your own ideas into the Torah, right? You're going to read your, the verses according to your subjective needs. People tend to read their own values and their own the, what they expect to find in the Bible, that's what they will find in the Bible. So reading the Bible as allegory is basically opening the Bible to all sorts of interpretations. And people will, will uh, often find what they want to find in the Bible rather than really to understand what the text was meant to, to, to tell us. So I think this is another objective problem that Ibn Ezra is telling, an objective problem with reading the Bible as allegory. So I'm summarizing briefly what we saw now, so from the Jewish perspective, we could say, A, literal interpretation is something more decisive and clear, whereas allegorical interpretation is speculative, arbitrary, and leads to manipulating what the text is saying. That's the what we saw at the end. In addition, irrational text calls for allegorical meaning. However, when the text makes perfect sense, rational text should remain literal. We have no justification to depart from the literal meaning. Three. There are no indications or instructions in the Bible that one needs to read the Bible as allegory. Sometimes the rabbis would say, Lo hi. It's something that is supposed to be clear-cut. You're supposed to know what it means, and it has to be very clear. And we didn't get any instructions, and it was never understood in biblical times as an allegorical uh, uh, concept. Right? People were circumcising the kids in the most literal sense, and they were eating matzot in the most literal sense, and they were not eat, keeping the observing laws of kashrut in the most literal sense, and even the Bible in, itself indicates to that. Finally, just like Christians tried to find some uh, references or allusions in the Bible for that, for their way of reading the Bible, Jews did the same thing. I'll give you one example. When uh, Miriam and Aaron, the siblings of Moshe, 
accuse him for having taken Isha Kushit. So the Bible, uh, the Torah, is, is God interferes and is trying to defend Moshe. And he tells, he tells them, I never had any prophet like Moshe. He, Moshe is the top. And he t- God tells them, I, whenever I show him, I show him, I talk to him through vision and not through riddles. So some Jews would say this is another proof that one needs to fulfill or understand the laws in the literal sense and not as riddles. And Jews associated between riddles and allegorical interpretations in the sense that there's something that you need to to, uh, figure out, something that is more hidden or uh, or, uh, uh, that is in a sense, some sort of form of mystery. So we saw the two opposing camps, Jews trying to defend their literal meaning and Christians are trying to defend their allegorical understanding of the Bible. And as I was trying to say before, I think we see here to a, a, a big, a lot of progress when we compare this to rabbinic times. In rabbinic literature, people might react to each other's type of mode of interpretation. So Jews will say Enoch is a bad guy and they might speak, we saw last week about Moses' hands. So they will say Moses' hands are not winning the war with Amalek. They're familiar, but they're not really addressing the big top, the big theme, how one needs to read the Bible. This is something that will only come up in later period. The last thing I want to do before we conclude is uh, come up with uh, an interesting question. It's not my question, but I want to think about it with you. So far, what we saw is that Jews are insisting on reading the Bible in something that we said is more literal, again, in comparison to the way that Christians read the Bible as metaphor or as allegory. And I want to ask you a very simple question. Why couldn't Jews take a different path? Rather than say, rather than insist that the Bible should be read literally, why couldn't just why couldn't you say, you know what? If you want to play the allegorical game, we'll we'll follow you. We'll also read the Bible as allegory, but we will read the Bible as allegory in a Jewish way. We saw a second ago that Ibn Ezra was saying that allegory lends itself to all sorts of interpretations. So why didn't Jews just say, you know what? We'll read the Bible as allegory. When we'll read, we'll talk about stories in the Bible. We'll find them. We'll read them as some sort of prophecies, prefigurations, or stories that also bear some uh, prophetic layer in them, not just as historical events. But make them into Jewish, a Jewish description. I'll give you an example. The story of the binding of Isaac. Christians say the binding of Isaac is an allegory for the crucifixion of Jesus. Abraham is commanded to sacrifice his son Isaac. This is allegorical. The allegorical meaning of this or this is a prefiguration of the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. God takes his beloved son and then let's ha- allows uh, having him being crucified. So this is the Christian way of reading the Bible. Why couldn't just say, Jews respond and say, you know what? We'll read the story of the binding of Isaac as an allegory. But it's not going to be about Jesus and about Christianity. We can read it as a Jewish allegory. Maybe it tells the story of the Jewish people throughout history. How in every generation they almost are about to be killed, but God saves them the last moment. That could also be an allegorical way of reading the Bible. We could have adopted the allegorical way and just read it using Jewish allegories rather than Christian understanding of the text. So why didn't Jews follow that path? Well, there was one Jew that actually was playing around with that idea. And who was that guy? One Jew from the evil times who actually was thinking that we might consider reading the Bible as allegory when it comes to stories. 
not when it has to do with laws, with stories. And he did feel that some stories in the Bible are uh, presented as historical events, but they actually bear some prophetic element in them. Who was that guy? That guy is Ramban. Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, Nachmanides. In Ramban's interpretation of the Torah, every now and then he alludes to that idea, and you can almost sense or feel that he's using Christian argumentation to justify that type of reading. In Ramban, the place where he elaborates on this is in Genesis 12, 6, when it talks about Abraham's journeys in the land of Israel. We have to rush now, we have three more minutes, so I want to do it briefly. And Nachmanides says as follows, and Abraham passed through the land. He says, I will tell you a principle by which you will understand all the coming portions of scriptures concerning Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is indeed a great matter with which our rabbis mentioned briefly saying, whatever has happened to the patriarchs is assigned to the children. What people in the Midrash, it is for this reason that verses narrate at great length the account of the journeys of the patriarchs, digging of the wells, and other events. Now, someone may consider them unnecessary and of no useful purpose, but in truth, they all serve as a lesson for the future. When an event happens to any of the free patriarchs, that which is decreed to happen to his children can be understood. For example, Abraham goes to Egypt and his wife is going through hell there. Pharaoh takes over his wife and he's going through terrible pain there, but eventually he's, she's being released and Abraham goes back to the land of Israel with a lot of uh, with big treasures. Ramban says, the story of Abraham is not just about Abraham. It's a prophecy of what will happen to his descendants when they will go down to Egypt, the beginning of Exodus. So it's not just history. It's also a form of prophecy. And it resembles what Christians are saying, that stories on their own are meaningless. If you don't see, you don't add some additional value to those stories, they become pale or they lose their importance. The idea is only to find an additional layer that involves the future. So we see Ramban was playing with this idea. I have to emphasize Ramban was only saying it with regards to stories. He never doubted the practical meanings of laws. And uh, usually he does it within the biblical time frame, meaning he will say one story in the Bible alludes to something that will happen later on in the Bible. But in some cases, even beyond, sometimes he even reads stories in the Bible as alluding to events that will happen in rabbinic period. So this was done by some Jews, but it was very, very uh, uncommon. And even Ramban is doing it in a very limited way. And I want to ask you, this is what we will conclude. Why do you suppose Jews not take this path of reading the Bible as allegory, just like Christians were reading the Bible as allegory, at least when it comes to stories? Why couldn't Jews read the Bible like Christians? But reading, finding the stories as Jewish allegories and not as Christians' allegories, because you can read anything you want in, this, in the Bible. This is a very interesting question, and uh, I want to uh, briefly address this. this the, the question was addressed by a scholar named Amos Funkenstein. Was, uh, he passed away already a few years ago. He wrote about the Ramban's approach, and I think he's coming up with a few interesting arguments, and that's going to be the last thing we're going to talk about today. Uh, one argument he says is that we can think about it in a different ways. One argument he comes up with, he says, Jews might have been scared. If we move into the allegorical sphere, it will be very hard to determine who's right and who's wrong. It will become battle zone without anybody 
being able to convince his opponent. So maybe it was more useful for Jews to, to argue, for most Jews to argue, we read the Bible literally. We don't want to get into this allegorical uh, territory, which is very hard to determine then who's right and who's wrong. That could be one reason. Another reason, Jews were not really lacking anything in their Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible. They don't need to find something in addition. Christians were lacking Jesus, were lacking Christian motifs in the Bible. They had a motivation that pushed them that way. Or Judas, what you were saying before, they wanted to get rid of the practical implications of the Bible. Jews don't really have that need. They're happy with the Bible as is, overall. Finally, maybe the last thing is, I think Jews read the Bible in Hebrew. And their first, uh, their uh, senses were always first, uh, uh, their, their uh, attention was usually devoted to the literal meaning. Christians read the Bible in, in a form of translation. And I think very often when you read a text in a translation, you're not going to be uh, absorbed in all the nuances, the linguistics, the grammar, but you're going to try to think about broader ideas. So maybe that could be also part of what was going on here that people who are reading the Bible, not uh, devoting their attention to the, to the language, might have been more prepared to think about the broader questions. I see this when I teach uh, Israelis in contrast to people from, who, speak, who don't speak Hebrew. Israelis are very often get you know, absorbed in all the tiniest technical things and can't just go beyond. And when you speak to people who read the text in a different in a foreign language, they're much more prepared to think about the broader ideas. So maybe this is also something that has to do with the culture of reading, how, how people read the Bible. Either way, it certainly did not become the prevailing way that Jews read the text. So we're concluding our discussion for today. So we saw about Jews, we, we read about Christians, and next week we'll start reading about Muslims. How did Muslims read the stories of the Bible? We'll start with the Quran's readings of the stories, and then we'll proceed to medieval uh, Muslim scholars and how did they understand the text. So this is what we're about to expect for the next few sessions. Kaya. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Gaffney. And thank you so much to everyone who joined us here on Zoom and on Facebook Live. Um, quick, just very quickly, today's our last day to apply for the summer call. I did it last year and I really loved it. So I really recommend if you or someone that you love might be interested in that, please pass that on. Um, as well, we have a few more spots for the um, the high school and middle school summer programs, which are also really wonderful opportunities. So please, again, pass that on. Uh, also in Israel. Yeah. There's also a program in Israel. Yes, yeah, so many wonderful programs. And in <laughs> fact, that leads me to, and oh, and as well, many other classes in formats like this one in our Springs Mountain. We've got lots and lots of wonderful classes going on. So um, go to drisha.org for that. And you can see all the details and looking forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.